0: Emerging markets have been on a roller coaster ride with plunging currencies, messy politics, and in September, the biggest ever IMF bailout in Argentina. Is now the time to close your eyes and buy? Will there be broader contagion? Which countries look most fragile? And how will escalating trade tensions with China play out? Hello and welcome everyone. I am Lauren Foster, and this is Take Fifteen. My guest on today's episode will help answer those questions. Shamila Khan is director of emerging markets debt strategies at Alliance Bernstein. Welcome, Shamila. Thanks so much for being here. So let's dive straight in. Should investors ignore the headlines and that sort of sick feeling in their stomachs and buy, or is now not the time to take a contrarian approach?
1: Well. The um, approach we would take to emerging markets at this point in time, that significant value has been created. However, we would not recommend a broad exposure to emerging markets at this stage. So what really happened in 2018 and the cause of the volatility? um, Rates rose significantly in January and emerging markets actually performed really well. But uh, the dips in emerging markets started when the dollar started to appreciate versus the euro because European growth started to disappoint. And it was the disappointment of the synchronization of global growth that led to the volatility in emerging markets. The dollar started to appreciate versus the euro. It then appreciated versus EMFX. And then the countries that were most vulnerable to external events like Argentina and Turkey were hit more than um, emerging markets in general. So we think that Selectively, there is value in emerging markets and select high-yield countries, in certain local markets, currencies, corporates, but for a broad rally in emerging markets to be sustained, we would like to see growth stabilize and emerge in countries outside the
0: United States. I guess the key word there is selectivity. So a recent Barron's article noted that, and I'll use a quote here, emerging markets are going through a slow motion crisis, fueled by falling commodity prices, weakening currencies, and a drawn-out slowdown in China. So what are your views on China and its highly indebted financial system and the effects China has on emerging markets? And then how does that translate into your investment strategy?
1: Absolutely. China is an important risk to monitor at all times. It certainly is heavily indebted, but the unique characteristics of the debt in China is that it's owed to itself. It's really one hand lending to the other hand. And because of that reason, we don't think a hard landing is imminent. Our outlook on China is that it is going to be in a muddle-through period of slower growth, but not leading to a financial crisis. Um, The way that it's hit emerging markets in the past is that it impacts commodity prices, right? China slows down, commodity prices fall because of the lack of demand, and that hits emerging markets in general. In fact, that's not what has happened this year. China has been growing slower, but commodity prices have held in really well. And when we were coming up with our outlook for 2018, one of the key components of that was that we were expecting slower growth in China. However, we thought commodity prices are going to be more influenced by supply than demand. And what you've seen is that supply has had a bigger factor. OPEC with oil has caused oil prices to go up significantly. China has been cutting back on um, key commodity sectors for environmental reasons, and that has supported commodity prices. So one of the key ways by which China transmitted a negative impact to emerging markets from domestic issues has really not materialized this year through commodity prices.
0: Interesting. So let's talk about an article that you wrote back in July. And it was a blog post where you noted that there are always risks to monitor, slowing growth in China being one of them. Uh, But the point you made was that it was important to keep them all in perspective. There were two other risks that you mentioned, and those were trade and political risk. So can you give us your latest perspective on those two? And I'm especially interested in the trade side, uh, given the recently inked, and it's a mouthful, United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, uh, I guess formerly known as NAFTA.
1: Absolutely. And I think in both those cases, I would characterize it as trade risks, opportunities, political risk, Opportunities. So there's two sides of the coin um, in both these cases, which uh, are important to monitor with respect to investments. So for trade risk, for example, uh, we did extensive work on NAFTA and whether it was advantages to U.S. companies to keep NAFTA. And our conclusion was that it was. And if NAFTA actually goes away, U.S. companies would be hurt and may have to lay off people. And with that, we came to the conclusion that there's strong incentives, not only for Mexico and Canada, but also for the U.S. to keep the agreement. And that's, in fact, what has happened. The agreement has taken a new name, but still exists. Um, There are other trade wars in motion. Um, I think in the past, trade negotiations have happened in private. uh, But the way negotiations happen in general is all parties take a strong stance and then they meet in the middle. Uh, What is happening now that all of these negotiations are happening in public and sometimes on Twitter, which creates a great deal of volatility. So it's hard to say exactly how this will end, but we do think this is part of a negotiation process. And at some point, this should be resolved. But in the meantime, there will be uncertainty and impact on investment and growth. Uh, But on the other hand, of course, you've had a positive conclusion to at least one trade negotiation, which is a good thing. On the political risk side, I would say exactly the same thing. You have political risk rising in some countries. You have political risk actually going down in other countries. I mean, you've had an election in Brazil, which the market views quite favorably. In Mexico, a populist leader got elected, but is now actually making quite market-friendly comments. Um, countries like Ecuador and Angola, you know, not the mainstream EM countries, but, you know, some of these frontier countries are tackling uh, leaders from their own party who are corrupt. So political risk sticks, many shapes and forms, and sometimes it can actually be an opportunity.
0: Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the emerging market countries with the most uh, fragile financial systems and tell us what you believe will be the ultimate co- outcome for those countries and what that means for global investors?
1: Well, Turkey, we were quite negative on on the beginning of the year, and uh, we thought that this... Um, situation could lead to um, a crisis um, that would eventually cause capital controls to be imposed. And we became pretty close to that. And to some extent, some capital controls were imposed um, because of the crisis related to the pasture and uh, just the general banking um, crisis that ensued. Uh, Since then, we think that too much risk has been priced into Turkish assets, particularly bank assets. Certainly, there have been moves in the policy to the more positive side from the government with monetary policy and fiscal policy um, becoming more conventional, as well as the fact that uh, the currencies had a massive adjustment. So that's going to help them on their external side. Uh, So we do believe that uh, obviously these policies have to be sustained, but there seems to be light at the end of the tunnel for Turkey and, um, you know, Erdogan, of course, is going to make headlines as he usually does, uh, but they may be more geared towards the domestic audience and not necessarily materialize into negative policy actions. Uh, And then on the other hand, you have Argentina. And again, their thesis was that the country would not have a funding crisis. Uh, The IMF has uh, definitely provided a very important package to the country. However, uh, there I would be Uh, more concern going into next year into what will be a critical election for Argentina. And um, really everything hinges on Macri getting elected. So I think um, it's very hard to predict um, how that's going to shake out and um, there's likely going to be volatility going into the election.
0: So a few minutes ago, you mentioned some positive sides in uh, Angola, Mexico, Brazil. Um, Where are some other bright spots
1: I would say Brazil actually um, is looking quite attractive to us at this point in time. The candidate has quite a market-friendly agenda. And uh, the fact that he has been um, almost elected and has um, a very strong mandate based on what the first round results at least indicate, plus the change in the Congress and governors and uh, the Senate that are moving towards more center-right parties who would be more Um, likely to pass reforms is going to uh, possibly lead to um, a change in the sentiments towards Brazil. Uh, So we think that's very attractive. And Turkey, as um, I mentioned before, particularly sort of the bank bonds and senior and sub debt there looks very attractive to us given how much risk was priced into the market.
0: So we're having this conversation during the Fixed Income Management Conference in in Boston, and there's been a lot of talk at the conference about active versus passive in fixed income markets. Um, Is passive investing in emerging market debt appropriate? Why or why not?
1: Well, I'm not exactly an unbiased commentator here, but... Um, I would sincerely advise our investors um, to not take passive exposure to emerging markets simply because, you know, every country um, goes through different cycles and it's very important to actively follow that, to be doing your homework. And just as I mentioned before, political risk is rising in some countries. It's actually going down in other countries. Um, If there is a trade war with China, um, then there will actually be beneficiaries in emerging markets of that trade war because Mexico could benefit, other Asian countries could benefit. So it's very important to do the homework and not take just a passive exposure to all the countries because they're not all going to move together um, as different factors uh, impact each one of them um, quite differently.
0: So you don't see a sort of bigger contagion effect from what's happening at the moment?
1: Well, in the short term, there's always risk of contagion. But when the dust settles, it's really buying the babies that were thrown out with the bathwater where emerging market investors have made uh, the most amount of money. But in order to do that, you have to be doing your homework and um, actually have the process and the people necessary to understand where the value has emerged.
0: Can you talk to some of the global macro trends today and how those will affect emerging markets and emerging market debt?
1: Absolutely. I mean, there are are a number of trends out there, you know, Feds raising rates. Um, Of course, um, that has uh, been kind of um, a concern that has been cited with respect to emerging markets in general. Historically, there have been periods when Fed has raised rates and global growth has been strong where EM has performed very well. Uh, so it's really not just the fact that Fed is raising rates. It's why is the Fed raising rates? And even this year, you saw that when you know Treasury rates went up, it was only when global growth started to disappoint outside the U.S. that emerging market got impacted. The trade war, um, as we discussed before, um, is going to be something important to monitor. But to the extent that it's negotiation and um, you know things get resolved favorably, as they did in the case of uh, USMCA, um, that uh, could actually work in the favor of certain emerging markets. Uh, Political risk is rising and it's rising not only in uh, emerging markets, it's rising uh, all um, over the world and um, uh, monitoring um, that risk and figuring out where it's actually benefiting certain countries versus others is going to
0: be important. So, a final, and it's a rather open ended question to end on is emerging market debt an asset class?
1: You know, it's interesting how often I am actually asked that question. And if you look at emerging market debt outstanding, if you just take hard currency debt issued by countries, uh, hard currency debt issued by corporates, local currency, sovereign debt, it's $11 trillion. It's uh, more than 80 countries that have issued in these markets. It's more than 850 issuers. I think that definitely warrants um, a categorization of its own, and um, it's a sector of its own, and therefore, uh, certainly given the size and the diversity,
0: warrants a structural allocation. Great insights, Shamila. Thank you for your time, and thank you all for listening.
1: Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice
0: or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.